Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Sporting Voices podcast with me, Steve Hall. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Neil Reynolds. Uh, Neil, presenter, host, writer, author. Have I missed anything else off? Is, is that pretty much the, the lot? Podcaster, yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Event host, bit of everything. All NFL, though. All, N- all NFL. So, yeah, I am a very lucky man to do what I do. I would say, anyone who watches NFL in this country, like myself, will know Neil's voice and face very, very well. Um, he's been around the Sky Sports production of NFL for the best part of a decade now. Um, Neil, I wanted to start, go way back to the beginning. Was was a, a career path in media always on, on your mind? Was something you always fancied? And was it always going to be NFL? Or did that, um, that come later on? That came later on, but it was always media. So um, I can remember being about 14, but you know when you choose your options at school? And we had a careers person come in to help us with our kind of options. And I said, oh, I'm going to be a journalist. And they went, no, 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 you need to pick something else. I was like, why? I want to be a journalist. I'm like, no, it's too competitive. You're not going to be a journalist or it's going to be hard to be a journalist. And I was like, that's all I want to do. I enjoyed writing. I actually wasn't very good at a lot of subjects at school. Science, maths, absolutely nothing. But English, I like writing. Um, So I always wanted to be a journalist. And then it was kind of a, it's interesting because people kind of think you you pop up on on Sky Sports and you you just started out, you know, whereas actually I'd been covering the sport, writing for, for years. So I started 91, 92, doing some bits for the old Gridiron magazine, the old First Down. I'd done some work experience with them, um, but I wasn't a qualified journalist. So I went away, worked in my local newspaper, covering flower shows, village fakes, all the kind of, you know, dirty work, if you like. Um, and became a qualified journalist, but I knew I wanted to get back into the NFL. So I only did that for a year or two. Uh, And then I worked full-time on first down from 97 to 2000. Then at NFL Europe from from 2000 to 2006. And then I did my first actual few stints here and there on Sky, kind of overnight stuff in 2006. Um, And then BBC Radio for a couple of years. And then 2011, I went kind of full-time on Sky, but by then I'd already done 14 years as a full-time journalist, or if you go back to 91, I'd already been covering the NFL for 20 years by the time I kind of rocked up as a regular on Sky, which is, I got asked the question quite a lot, oh, how do I do what you do? And I'm like, well, you, you got put in the groundwork for a start, <laughs> you know, you got to become a qualified journalist, all of that. Um, people don't always want to do that, they just want to get to that end bit. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. in this uh, podcast are actually people who are looking to go down this route as well. You know, how do you get their breaks and stuff? And I, I wanted to speak to you then. Um, early on then, I mean, compared to the 90s, compared to now, I mean, the popularity of NFL in this country wasn't the same. Obviously, it was pretty big, but the access to I mean, I've been an NFL fan for the best part of 20 odd years myself. And it was never easy to, you know, you might get one game or you'd be listening to it, you know, the forces radio, something, something mental trying to get it or trying to get, you know, very, very early days of internet. I remember trying to get a dodgy stream. Um, yeah. Did that make your, how hard did that make your job? Because you're, to, just to get eyes on the games and, and, and you know, there was no Twitter, you couldn't follow Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport. How difficult was that for your job to, to go and do, cover all you had to cover with, with that, that little exposure to, to what's going on over there in America? Yeah, I think back, I think back to it now. And um, when I worked at First Down kind of as a, I did a work experience and then I ended up doing feature writing for them. But when I was there doing work experience, they had me, 
it was midway through the 1991 season and they wanted to do uh, a rookie report, mid-season rookie report. So every team's first round draft pick. I rang 32 teams to ask for the stats on their first round draft picks. Absolutely bonkers now when you think about it, right? You just go on, you just go on and it's all there, you know, NFL.com, Pro Football Reference. But I had to ring 32 teams to get 32 lots of stats. I did an interview with James Lofton that night, one of those nights. And, you know, you're just dialing them up on the phone. Um, it has changed a lot. And even when I was working at First Down in 97, we only kind of just had the, the kind of first goes of kind of, you know, the internet and what, you know, getting on the web and getting information. You know, it was, it was very different. I mean, now it's, it's, it's very easy to do your research. You know, you'll be careful what, which bits you filter and which bits are actually worth paying attention to and which bits aren't. But yeah, it's a world away from, and the coverage and the popularity was a world away from where it is now. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, the, the growth of NFL, and you've been a part of that, you know, you're, you've been probably, there'll be a lot of people who've been watching NFL for over a decade and you're just remember, it's been you pretty much and a few, obviously the other hosts and stuff. Um, mm. well, so let's start with the, I'll start with the TV stuff. So Sky Pundit, you started as a pundit rather than a presenter. Um, how different was that? Because again, you, you'd gone from journalism where you were reporting to now, it's not reporting anymore, it's giving your opinion on it. You're watching a game and you're opinionating. How different were those two skills? And, and did, did anything you learn at journalism school and go for uni and stuff or whatever even help you become a pundit? Because usually pundits are an ex-player or an ex-coach. That, that was right. quite difficult. It was. It was um, It was the position they kind of... The, it was my first step in. They wanted me to be you know, a pundit uh, and have a British voice on it. I personally feel like it's you need to have played now I had I always had strong opinions and I had like what I felt like I'd done my research I'd watched the film I I knew what I was talking about and sometimes because I wasn't a player I would sit next to former players who wouldn't be as strong in their opinions as me but as I kind of grew into that and became more of a regular obviously once I was full-time on Sky 2011 onwards to me I felt like it didn't really fit it's if you're the you know in everything else I did whether it be NFL UK live shows the Trafalgar Square fan rally the Regent Street events the tailgate parties I'm I'm asking the questions so we kind of then went through this kind of transitional period where I became part pundit part kind of co-host so I'd do all the red zone updates you know I'd go down and do bits on the touch screen with whoever we had with us and I remember Sky said it was there was no other person that did that really at Sky. It wasn't a natural kind of fit. Um, and then I think the the presenting side just grew and grew to where I was doing the Wembley games on my own, you know, presenting from pitch side. Um, and then obviously when when Kev moved on, Dara came in for a year. But again, I was doing much more of the kind of heavy lifting. A lot more of I became more of a person asking questions. And I think as a journalist, that's that's much more of a natural fit. And then when I took over full-time uh, ahead of the, two th- just on the start of the 2017 season as the main anchor, um, I think it, I felt way more comfortable. And I actually think the fans' perception of me was much more positive than when I was trying to be a pundit. And I didn't want to be a pundit. I always wanted to be the presenter. So it's, now I feel like I'm in a good spot. I'm in the spot I should be in. 
Yeah, for sure. I was about to say it, it must be difficult because I, again, I used to watch the shows and stuff, and it'd be like Kev Cable could ask you a question, and and I, it would be difficult for someone who's never played the NFL to really know what's going. You, you don't really know what's being said in a locker room, or you don't know, you know, you don't know how, how hard it hurts when someone smashes into you, things like that. Yeah, on that, I know enough. I know enough from talking to players to now I'm sitting in the position to ask the question. You know, this must feel really terrible in the locker room. Well, this is a big halftime. What kind of adjustments are being made? But you're right. Unless I've gone across the middle and been smacked in the face by Ray Lewis, I'm only speculating, right? It's always better to have those people. And that's what we're trying to do now as we drive our Sky Show on is more of those, you know, Cliff Averill's been there on the best defences in the NFL. He's lifted the Super Bowl trophy. You know, it's Rob Bryan's lifted that Super Bowl trophy twice. We had Josh Norman with us on the Super Bowl. You know, Dallas Clark's lifted the Super Bowl. It, the more you can bring in those kind of people, they're going to give the insight that the fans want. I can speculate. and I know where I can guide people down the right street, but I've not actually been down that street. Yeah, for sure. And I was about to come on to that. Um, we all live in a, in a Zoom world now in the pandemic, but what, what I know is what your show is that you, you guys were utilising that obviously pre-pandemic. So you mentioned there Cliff Averill might be on Zoom. You had the Around the NFL podcast guys on. Um, Peter King, who's probably my favourite journalist ever, like someone I, I really admire and look up to. Probably my dream guest on this show other than yourself, Neil. Uh, he's, number two, <laughs> he's number two behind you. But um, that that's something that is, is, again, rather than having someone have to fly over to Britain to talk about it, the fact that you can get these guys on a Skype call or Zoom call or however, I mean, I don't know if you feel from a viewership, I think that's added to the show. Is that something that you guys were keen to do? Is that get you don't have to, you can mix the voices up as well rather than having the same guy sat next to you every single week? That's something I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've been very fortunate when I when I kind of took over as the main presenter. Even before then, really, I've 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 almost had a kind of co-producer role. And my producer, my main producer, Alex Mason, is very generous with that. In that he bounces everything off me. We talk about guests. We talk about the shape of the show. And you know, I have I have the contacts booked to then go out and get Peter King, Dallas Clark, Josh Norman, and that's where it's kind of taken our show. I feel to another another level and. Our approach was, yes, have great pundits in the studio with us, but let's we're on we're on for eight hours. There's enough time for everyone to make the points they need to make. So let's have more voices. Let's have somebody, you know, situated in America who can join us, and and let's have Peter King. Let's have the Around the NFL podcast guys. By the end of a night, you could have listened to the two guys that are sat in the studio with me, the three guys uh, or four went. God bless him, Wes, when Wes was there. Four around the NFL guys, Peter King, a couple of other people. You know, you might have heard from eight or nine people by the end of the night. So I think that's very important when you're on for as long as we are. Um, and I think actually the pandemic's kind of made people more accepting of seeing people on Zoom and on those things. We're going to do a show on the night of the draft leading into the NFL Network coverage. It's me in the studio on my own with about 12 guests rotating through over three or four hours and I think even we'll go even further next year we'll start to put those remote guests in stadiums and they can join us from there because the fans feel like they're they're being taken to the game so yeah it's get as many voices you know from America I can still put a British slant on it and I know kind of what the British fan wants and you know our kind of how we approach sport really you know how we kind of Sometimes we have a Mickey taking aspect to what we do and all of that. Um, 
but you want those guys to be able to add their voice and we've got a lot of those now so yeah for sure absolutely and i was uh on previous episodes i've spoke about you know when you're covering a sport and you've been around for so long like your audience has probably may, may have changed also though you've got you've got to cater for two audiences you've got people like myself who have been fans for you know 25 years of nfl but then you've also got the you know nfl uk are trying to grow the nfl how difficult a balance is that for you to get at? Because you've, you've not, you you don't want to dumb down your coverage for these for, for people like myself. Who are, I know what a first down is, but then also you might have somebody who's who you're trying to introduce to the game. How do you guys at Sky or, or, or on your podcast? How do you strike that balance? Are you do you have a, a certain demographic in mind? Do you think I'm I'm aiming for that person, or because that must be really tough when you've because Sky's football, they pretty much know they're, they're catering to football fans. It is what it right. is. It's a, it's we've all grew up playing this into a six. NFL's different. You're trying to grow with the audience. How do you strike that balance and how difficult is that? So it's really kind of a natural sort of feel. There's no sort of hard and fast guidelines. So we, my, my advice to whenever somebody comes in from uh, outside to be on our show for the first time is speak like you speak when you're in America. Yeah, we want you to be authentic. We want you to be the real deal. Um, what we then do is they might talk about cover two or, um, you know, some terminology and I will just pause them and say, explain what cover two is. And I actually become the punching bag a little bit then because people on Twitter will be like, well, we know what it is. We know. I, I know you do, but I don't want this to be our little secret. I don't want this to just be a game that stays just for us. I want this to be a game for everyone. This is a fantastic sport. Everyone should feel like they can be included, learn along the way. So, there's no kind of set guidelines other than to the pundit. Don't worry about it. Just talk how you would talk in America. Most of the questions I ask are similar level. You know, we talk at the end of the day, we're, there's there's four or five storylines for a game, right? If you're watching the Bucks in the Super Bowl, we're talking about Tom Brady. <laughs> so, you know, there's certain things you're going to talk about. Um, but I will pull people up on terminology because I do want people to to join and watch the game and enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. You, you touched earlier actually on the, the the length of the shows that you guys do. You can't be in there from, you know, it's usually five o'clock the start. So that's what we see. But you've yeah. been in there all day before prepping and stuff. I mean, long, long days. What I've, what I've always been interested to know is like, like a bit of behind the scenes acting. If you don't mind the real and too many secrets. Like for example, again going back to football or cricket, they have scheduled breaks where you know they're coming into the studio. So you know before the game, half time, full time. Or in the cricket, it's you know at lunch and tea and after the game and stuff. It, could, it can come back to you guys at any second. You know, it could be a challenge flag or an injury or, you know, the US coverage right. goes to an ad break and it, it comes into your into the studio. Uh, how how far in advance of, of something happening can you have your next stuff lined up? Because, I mean, I'll, I'll come to you and then you'll, you'll mention the play that's just happened. So is that quite difficult for you guys to have an eye on the game while trying to prep what you're going to talk about next? Meanwhile, you might have what are your pundits like Jeff Reinbold, for example, at the touchscreen ready to, to show right. a diagram of something else. I mean, in my head, this sounds a little bit like controlled chaos. <laughs> I mean, how how, do you, how difficult is that? And how do you guys navigate that? Again, it's, it's not something that you can plan. It's going to come to you at any second. So so basically, the once the game starts at six o'clock, then I have... The pundits tend to mostly watch our main game and watch the main coverage. I have the main game in front of me on one TV, and then I have Red Zone on another TV. And then my job basically is to keep an eye on the main game and the talking points that we're going to have when we go into the next break. But also we're collating four or five plays from red zone. 
So, so I'm literally, my eyes are going from one to the other. To, and I'm like, give me that play. That was a 15-yard completion. Give me this play. And then somebody from the stats is just confirming, yeah, that's uh, that's Antonio Brown. That was 22 yards. Um, so then I'm literally sitting the whole time between writing on a pad, looking at the main game, looking at red zone, and it's constant. It's There's no respite because there's always a big play on red zone. And we bring as much of that into our coverage as we can because we want our show to be a one-stop shop as well. So you don't have to just go and watch red zone. We'll bring you the red zone and the analysis and everything. So we're like that from, from six o'clock till one o'clock in the morning. Um, I probably take one bathroom break in that time because there's just too much going on. Um, and in terms of the, uh, knowing when they're coming, like literally, we'll, we'll say, OK, we've got these five red zone plays. So we'll start with that. We'll start every little break fill with a red zone update if we've got them. And then we'll decide what we took. we'll say about them. We're going to show these replays from the main game. So it's planned out a bit, but it's live TV. So like you said, a player goes down injured, there's a replay, there's a challenge flag. Suddenly it can be three or four seconds. And then we're coming to you. I mean, in this past year, we've had all, we had, we've had that, we've had feeds go down. We've had a couple of times where the end of one day, I think it was Tennessee and Pittsburgh and the, um, we lost the commentary with about two and a half minutes left. So I'm suddenly rushing, finding my depth charts. I've got all the printed out depth charts for every team. And then suddenly I'm doing play by play. <laughs> so I'm trying to get through. So you're always, always fly. It's very fly by the seat of pads. It's a bit easier for the pundits. They're just watching the game. But I've got constantly, constant touchdown in Miami. That play in our main game is a 22-yard run. That was a touchdown in New York. That's and it's constant and I'm writing it all down and their yeah, eyes are going everywhere, but it is, it's good fun. I'm going to take a play out, a, leap, a page out of your book here and just explain what red zone is in case the people who don't know what red zone yes. is. Um, red zone for people who don't know, aren't familiar with the NFL is essentially guys, it, it's it's a bit like we have soccer Saturday in the football where they go from ground to ground, show you, but they actually show you the game live and the biggest plays. So you can, that's kind of what that one is. Um, st- sticking on the, on the TV f- uh, studio atmosphere and stuff then Neil I've always been keen to know um, when you're talking to ex-players and you're asking them for opinions and stuff I mean Sean Gale's in there a lot so he's probably used to but you might get someone new in at, at what stage do you have to be like careful what you ask them and stuff because I, I, you don't want to get to a point where you you know some players don't like criticising the next team for example or, or does that not bother you you just, you'll just ask them and if they sit on the fence then that's their choice but as a journalist, you do, you, you've got to do your job as well. Is, is that something you've ever thought of, or do you, is it just natural for you? I'll just ask them anyway. I actually try and draw them out into an opinion. And, you know, I, I've spoken to pundits over the years, and I think if you sit on the fence, you're not really being a pundit. You know, you're not. I think you've got to. And you've, I think so many people watch so many games and so much sport now. Um, I think a pundit's got to try and tell you something that you might not have seen. You know, and sometimes we will we will collate plays that we're going to show at the touchscreen. And then I'll, I kind of have a bit of an editorial filter. I'm, I'm like, well, that's, we're just showing that. They've shown that in the main game. We've seen the replay on the touchdown. Um, what are you showing me that's really different? Because I was really good throw and a really good catch. I was like, yeah, but unless you're showing me that this defender was completely out of position or lost his spacing or where he was supposed to be, then there's no reason. So, yeah, I, I always sort of encourage our pundits to have strong opinions. 
yes, some are, some are more comfortable than others um, in doing that. I remember working with Sean years ago um, when Adrian Peterson was, um, I remember when he got in trouble for, he'd been uh, alleged to have hit his child with a tree branch and stuff. And, and Sean just didn't want to talk about it. And I said, well, then I'm going to have to, because we can't both not say anything about it. You know, and if I, and I said, I didn't, I don't think I could watch Adrian Peterson the same way ever again. And and I, you know, I got some stick for that on Twitter, but that was my opinion. And there's no point two or three of us sat next to each other, frightened to say something, because that's what you're there for then. You know, <laughs> you've got to have an opinion. Um, so yeah, I think it's when you when I do one-on-one -on -one interviews with players, you kind of get a feel for, and I'm not looking to break big news. I'd, I'd rather get good insight from a player than, you know, a player telling me he hates his coach. I'm more about kind of learning more about their lives, what they do, how they play. Um, but if there is a controversial thing, um, I, I leave it till near the end because at least I've got a lot out of them before they tell me <laughs> tell me to get started. Yeah, before, before they storm out. Let's move on into the, the more the podcasting side. You, you, you're obviously involved with the NFL inside the Huddle podcast and you've got your own podcast, your, the Neil Reynolds podcast as well. Um, what, what do you find interesting about the podcast space? It, it's, it's obviously become massive in the last, you know, probably half decade. It was not, it wasn't very rare and then obviously it's boomed. It, it is a bit different than TV. It, it is slightly but more chilled, for example. Uh, yeah. What, what, what do you think the main positives have come from you having these two podcasts in terms of the ex again, exposure and the growth and stuff? Because again, both are very, very popular podcasts. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I started my own one, the Neil Reynolds podcast, just because I didn't, I didn't want to do anything else that kind of told, spoke about news or issues of the day, because that's what me and Jeff do on Inside the Huddle. So there's no point doing that again. But I just, the more I'm around players, the more I realise everyone has a different route to the NFL, different journey. And podcasts are a great thing to tell stories, you know. And so I, you know, I really enjoyed doing that. And, and my podcast tells kind of timeless stories about careers in the NFL and lives in football. Um, and we're going to do a second season uh, this year, starting in July. Um, so I'm already recording a lot of those. So I just like the, the kind of relaxed nature of a podcast. So it's become much more of a conversation. Um, interesting, because Inside the Huddle for many years was just a podcast, you know, and that's what I think a lot of people kind of liked. And then it became a TV show on Sky as well. So especially during the season. So then with that came a rundown and an itemized script for what we were going to cover. And I, I actually would not be surprised if it turned some people off because it wasn't what our podcast was, which was me and Jeff shooting the breeze, talking about anything. Now we're in the off season. That's what we're doing again. We just chat and we talk about the games. Um, so yeah, that may be something where we look at doing something a bit different next year on Sky, where we do a, an extra TV show that looks back on the week and then, me and Jeff can keep our podcast just as two blokes in the pub chatting about the sport because they're very different vibes, right? A, a structured TV show or a podcast, hugely different animals. Yeah, I think I think the first podcast I actually listened to, I think it was you and Darren Fletcher had. Was, it, was, that, yep. was that the similar one as well? And that was the first time I... I... That was Inside the Huddle. Yeah. yeah, so I did Inside the Huddle with Fletch and I did Inside the Huddle with Charles Dagnall for a while. He now does all the cricket, TMS and Sky. Um, and then I did it with Jeff. So yeah, same, but again, same deal, just couple of mates having a chat about the sport they love you, you, that was what my next question was going to be is that because it turned into a tv show into a tv show 
did you feel? I was going to say it felt like it, it became more of a rundown where your own podcast. I mean, again, I've listened to it where you just you're just chatting to an ex-player. You could be in their house or whatever you or over Skype or whatever or Zoom. And it do, and again, you get basically there's, you're in control. You can say what you want. You can do what you want. It does give you a bit more freedom. Is that something you enjoy? Yeah. So inside the huddle, when it first started as a podcast, was a podcast that then went on to TV. What we get in the season now is a is very much a TV show that they put the audio onto a podcast platform, but it probably isn't a podcast really. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I enjoy doing the, the TV side of it as well. And I think it was good to have more programming on the channel because I don't think we should just take programming from uh, America. We're going to be an NFL channel on Sky Sports. We should create our own content and we're doing that. Um, so yeah, we'll probably find a way around that going forward, but they are, they are quite different when you've got a structured rundown and you're throwing to, sound bites or bits of highlights here and there that's that's not really a podcast absolutely let's move on i want to talk to you you mentioned you, you mentioned there actually about live events and you've done trafalgar square and Wembley. i've been there i think of course the football from you or darren fletcher once uh, i think i've got to get over my shoulder yeah. um, that'd be uh, me fletcher would have got nowhere near yeah but, i mean I was, I was i was very far back by the beer so it probably it might have been you um and I've also been to the NFL, you know, the, the NFL UK shows. You've done one local to me. Um, how, how comfortable are you talking on a stage? Again, it's weird because when you are talking on, on Sky to a camera, there are hundreds of thousands of people watching, but you may not be as conscious of it. When If you look out to a crowd, whether it's 300 people or 40,000 in Trafalgar Square or outside Wembley, I mean, do you get nervous? Is that, is that anything that... Because it doesn't come across like you do when you're up there, I'll be honest. No, I only got nervous once on an NFL UK Live and it was um, the Saturday after Kev had died. So we did Kev had died on the Sunday night and then the following Saturday we were doing a UK Live ahead of the Rams-Cardinals game. I knew I was going to go on stage and we were going to play, pay a tribute to Kev. So that was just the emotion kind of getting in there. But generally, they're the most fun I have. They're the, the thing I enjoy the most because when you're sat in a studio... Um, you know, you're running to certain times, you're running to certain, uh, you know, getting into the game and getting out of the break and you've got to go here and there and you're only looking at a camera with a red light on the top of it. You know, you're not seeing faces. And, you know, I really enjoy the, the UK lives, especially because you get around the country, you see the fans. I can actually enjoy interacting with the fans and having the bit of banter back and forth and stuff. And, um you know, we have really good feedback and, and sometimes there's been, there's been feedback on social media. Oh, Neil's actually quite, you know, he looked really good at that and he was quite funny. And it was like, yeah, but you, you don't, you have to be quite, there's a relative amount you have to be buttoned up when you're in a studio, right? And doing, doing TV and running to time. So they are fun. And we've had some fantastic guests and uh, yeah, we, we missed the kind of last cycle of a tour we were going to do before the pandemic hit. So I don't know what's happening with them. We've done a few virtual ones. We've got a virtual one the Sunday before uh, the NFL draft, but definitely want to get back out on the road and do more of them. They're, they are by far my favourite thing. I was, again, you've kind of mentioned, I was about to say, the, the Neil we see on TV and the Neil we see on those stages in probably a, in those arenas, you are a different person. It, it comes, again, I don't know the correct word, but a little bit more edgy, like you might be able to throw a little swear yeah. word in there or, you know, something like that. It, it does come across on that, is that? Something that you're keen is that something that's just natural, like you're just keen to be you can be more that's, yourself, you can be more that's who I, yeah, that's who I that's who I am. That's who I am. You know, if I'm sitting with mates and we're 
you have an edge, edge to your whatever, or you drop a swear word, but you, obviously you can't do that on TV. So you have to be really kind of buttoned up with what you say on TV. So yeah, that's more me. That is more who I am. And, and um, I think that's why I like them. And that's why we kind of do the, we do like little bits like Neil's news at the start. And I say to NFL UK, well, this is a, I don't know if you're going to like this one. And they're like, but that's what this is. This is what, you, you know, it's supposed to be a bit, more kind of like a roast type thing you know so um yeah that's it's actually really nice to kind of go onto stage with i have a kind of rough idea of what i'm doing you know but there's no there's no kind of timetable if 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 something doesn't come off or doesn't happen you don't know it was on my card and we didn't get to it because guys were talking too much or having a good time so i quite quite like just going out there and yeah just just having fun and chatting about the sport and interacting with the fans without worrying too much, but I've got to get to this break or I've got to do this or that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell that it looks quite liberating when you're up there. Uh, I'm going to end the our conversation on your written content. So you've obviously, you've written a book, uh, you're still right for Gridiron, for Sky. Is that something that you're, I mean, time, I can imagine your time is a very busy man. So thank you for, for talking to me for a start, but how much time do you get to still sit and write and do stuff? Is that something that you're still keen to do? And, still keen to you still enjoy doing it because that's how you kind of started it's, it's taking you back to right. 1991 you're still keeping in touch with that Neil as well as Sky TV Neil yeah I mean I was a writer before I ever went on TV I never thought I'd ever do TV I, and so I was always a writer and so I, I like that and um it's interesting I like I really I do the uh, my preview magazine the gridiron annual every summer and I pretty much write the whole magazine myself. So I do that, wait till the draft's done, then May and June are big writing months for cranking that out. I write columns during the season. Where it's a little bit different now is, if I get up on a Monday and I've got to write a couple of columns, and or I write a column on a Monday, a column on a Tuesday, one for NFL.com, one for SkySports.com. I would love to kind of sit there and really dig into it. And sometimes I don't have the time. Sometimes it's just like, rah, you know, you're just typing it and getting it cranked out because it needs to be up and out. And um, it's funny. Sometimes I, I, I speak to people that want to become journalists or want to do, you know, American football journalism. And, and sometimes I've given them advice. And and I remember one chap, I don't know, I remember his name, but he said, oh, you know, I'd like to, if I'm going to write an article, I'd like to sort of maybe spend three, four, five hours researching it then a couple of hours writing it. And he said, probably I'll go to the library, look up some stuff and, you know, I spend a whole day on it. I was like, you'll never, you'll never be able to work in the industry. You won't have time. You know, when I'm editing the game programs, I do the London game programs and you've got to do 148 pages and then you've got another game the following week. You better crank out five stories a day, five features in a day or something, or, you know, four or five in a day, every day, if you're going to get those publications done. So, I guess what I'm saying is that I really enjoy writing. I, I don't make it quite the art form that I would like it to be. It's a very functional thing, but that's that's sometimes that's being a journalist. You've got to get it out there. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I told Alex, because there's one more question. That, this, this indulge, no me, in, indulge me for this one, if you don't mind, Neil. Um, I'm fascinated by American sports, like media and how it works and stuff. And I know you spend time on, on Radio Row at the Super Bowl for again. People who don't know very quickly, Radio Row is where basically broadcasters from the entire world, the week of the Super Bowl, just get put into like a giant convention centre or hall and guests come and go. And it, it just looks like mayhem. If you haven't seen it, have a little Google of what it is, listen to some of, some of the content. Uh, I mean, 
I told before about chaos and stuff on Sky, but is is that is that like a whole different level? That because again, I I feel like I'm someone who, who quite again working in media, I get like what you said, content's got to go, got to go. But even that to me looks like that is just absolute bedlam. Is it is it really as bad as I think it is? It is, and every every player that comes through has a handler, and at Super Bowl especially, they're being they're being hired by. I don't know, whatever product it is that they're, they're kind of pimping around. So um, sometimes those products are American. So it becomes harder for us uh, because let's say it's Kirk Cousins who I have a great relationship with. I know Kirk Cousins and he was, he was advertising a mattress that wasn't sold in the UK. So his handler was like, well, he can't come on the sky because it does us no good. And Kirk was like, hang on a minute, I'm doing all these other things, but the only one I'm doing additional, I'm going on sky. Because of, so we get to, we get a lot of stuff where I have to just we have to use our own um, our own kind of contacts because those handlers are making it so hard to get to the players because it becomes a corporate kind of thing. But yeah, they're being kind of shuttled through. The other thing at the Super Bowl, which is a big thing, is like the media scrums. The scrums are incredible. You know, just the 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 amount of people around one of those podiums when you're trying to speak to somebody. And a couple of years ago. You have to. You can't be shy. You just got to get in there. And I'm quite good at just getting in there and asking questions. And Tom Brady was coming onto the podium, and so we got there an hour before. And then you're just getting you're like this, like you're sitting on the tube station. And um, they said my my producer was with me. Said, "Where do you want to stand?" And I already checked with the PR guy because I knew him. And Tom was coming on at one end of the podium. I said, "We'll go the other, so so that we can kind of." make some eye contact as he gets on. I've worked with Tom a little bit before, but he probably didn't remember or wouldn't know me anyway. But so he, I see when he comes in, he sits down and he starts to undo a water bottle and he's pulling the microphone around and, but he's ready. He's right in front of the microphone, but he's undoing his water. Amazingly, all the guys, all the journalists were just quiet watching him undo his water. So <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I'm either going to jump in now and he's going to say, I'm not ready yet. But then he's probably going to say to me, now I am. Or I'm going to wait an hour and never get questioned. Because once it starts, you're never going to get it. So there was this kind of awkward silence. So I just jumped in. And so then, I, and then, then it's about your eye contact. It's about holding their attention. So I ask the first question. Then I'm looking right at him and he gives a good answer. Then I ask another question because he can't break away from me kind of looking at him. And then... I actually was cheeky and went for a third question. But as he was kind of wrapping up the second question, I was kind of like going, I've got one more. And then we got, I got like three minutes, about three minutes of questions and I'll just meet with Tom Brady. And that's all from being in the right place, being prepared and also, you know, looking like you're interested in what they're saying and have a conversation with someone rather than having to look down and seeing what I'm asking next. It's all about, again, it all goes back to, Thing, any any interview you should do with the player should be a should be a conversation, not just a series of questions. Yeah, and then the, yeah. I always end these podcasts. If you if you could, Neil, if you could give someone like you mentioned before, you've spoken to people who want to get into this business or do what you do. Is there any one major piece of advice that you would give to a young journalist or aspiring writer or whatever to to do? Is there is there one golden shining nugget that you could share with before you before you leave us today? Yeah, I would say I would say if you want to be a writer, then write. And I would say just practice that. And the, and if you if you write um, if you write blogs where you there is no word limit, then kind of set yourself little tests. 
okay, this is going to be no more than a thousand words and I'm going to do it in an hour. Or it's going to, because I think you give yourself some discipline then because suddenly if you've always been able to just meander through a story to the tune of 3,000 words and then you write for a publication or a game program or whatever and they want 800 words, you're going to, you're going to not be used to doing that. So I'd say write as much as you can. I do still think you've got, I would say, getting a grounding in, newspapers but that's yeah it's becoming less and less a thing so i get web blogs and online things and you get good great great audience numbers online now but right with discipline right with discipline is a big thing okay thanks thanks very much i appreciate your time thanks thanks for joining me and no worries thanks everyone for listening to the latest edition of the sport and voices podcast be sure to go back and check out the previous episodes as well and i'll be back very very soon with another guest from the world of sports media until then goodbye